The Present by Stéphane Molyneux Chapter 27 After a while, she never knew how long it was, Rachel opened her eyes and committed to assessing the damage. The sun was high in the sky when she checked the yard for dogs, then ventured out to retrieve her backpack. Everything was silent. Spreading its contents out on the kitchen floor, Rachel felt dread in her heart. She still had her soap, a few changes of clothes, her cell phone, her solar charger, a toothbrush, have to have fresh breath for the destination, the kitchen knife and a few granola bars, and three bottles of water. But everything else was gone. Rachel tried to resist the feeling that she was right back where she started. She was unlikely to find enough food in this house to continue. Rachel suddenly thought, What if I am not alone in this house? She stared around at the decor, trying to picture the owners. It was more of a bungalow than a house, a backsplit decorated in Eastern European hominess. There was a motionless cuckoo clock on the wall, an optimistically large dining table, surely mostly occupied by only two elderly people, and cheesy snow-covered landscapes on the wall. Newspapers and magazines lay on the dining room table, covered in incomprehensible eastern lettering. Older couple, retired. Rachel imagined them returning from the library with magazines and newspapers, from the homeland, two weeks behind the times, and striving and failing to install Skype in the hopes of talking with distant relatives. What if they are still in the house? They were the kind of broken, old-world couple that might have accepted their fate without complaint. Perhaps they had seen so much horror under the communism of their youth that they could not summon any real sorrow in the face of approaching death. I will find them upstairs, lying in separate beds, holding hands like a tiny bridge across the gap. Rachel pulled off her torn sock. Her right foot was blackened, bruised. She could feel her heart beat beneath the tender skin. Taking a deep breath, she reached under, feeling around for wounds. She had a vivid memory of being in her tomboy phase, just before puberty, and crossing a churning river in the woods. She had stepped on something sharp, reached down to feel her right foot, and her finger had slipped into a bleeding hole. Her mother had rushed her to the hospital where she had joked and laughed with the nurses. Rachel had lain on her belly during the resulting procedure. The stitches were so excruciating that she was deathly still and quiet afterwards, as if she had been broken. Why didn't he freeze me better? To her immense relief, no skin had been broken. Her little toe was a very unpleasant color, and she imagined that she would lose the toenail. And once more remembered being a kid, barefoot in a hotel, and having an elevator door close on her foot and losing a toenail that way. 
Rachel shook her head, shocked at the tsunami of early memories almost drowning her. I never paid much attention to my past, because I was always paying more attention to how much attention was being paid to me in the present. This slow tumble of fortune-cookie sorrow was becoming annoying. Now that Rachel's panic had subsided, her foot was beginning to swell and creak with pain. She reached around, touching her entire body, probing for trauma. Her inner right shoulder was sore from reaching around on the beam or hauling herself up the shelves or the jagged wooden fence or something. Her left buttock, some tendon deep inside by the bone, was complaining, but not too badly. All those lunges for the bubble butt finally paid off. Her wet groin had dried somewhat, perhaps from the residual heat left in the house. After slowly and painfully changing her clothes, Rachel used the yellow wall as leverage to lever herself up to standing. She tried to put a little weight on her right foot, grimaced, then decided to hop. It wasn't too painful, but she didn't want anything to get worse. To her left was a small kitchen with a vaulted ceiling. Cheap imitation marble, painted wooden cabinets, an immortal off-green fridge from the 1980s, a coiled metal electric stove. Above the stove, a built-in microwave with the plastic still on the buttons. The kitchen was clean, tidy. So... Certainly not bachelors, then. A sudden, bleating cry to her right made Rachel jump and cry out. A slow, wounded bird stuck its head out from the dark wooden cuckoo clock. I guess it runs on batteries. Putting her hand on her heart, Rachel opened the first cabinet. Obviously unused formal glasses. Not crystal, but nice. Once a year, they break these out for traditional drinks, mulled something or other with vodka and pepper, perhaps an oyster. Next cabinet, slightly mismatched side and dinner plates. These people take care of things so well that many of these are wedding gifts 40 years past. They don't want to forget the wedding, so they spend hours scouring flea markets to find plates that match as closely as possible because the original manufacturer closed down or moved to China. Rachel finally opened the pantry door. Her other hand crossed its fingers, unknown to her. Gold mine. Cracker boxes with a foreign language? Russian? (gasps) Salted nuts. Raisins. Tins covered with pictures of staring fish. Large bags of dill pickle potato chips. Bottles of a dark drink. Can? Cans of herring and onions? Tins of what looked like condensed milk? Bags of tiny hard bagels? Rachel closed her eyes, relief washing over her. She reached to open the bag of tiny hard bagels. The more colorful the packaging, the longer it lasts. But then hesitated, realizing that she really needed to search the house first. What if they are dying in a room down the hall? She shivered, 
then realized that the broken window by the door was still letting cold air in. Hopping over to the dining room table, she grabbed some newspapers and stuffed them into the jagged hole. Fortunately, there was a small handrail on the stairs leading up to the living room. Tired pastel colors, two couches and an armchair covered in fabric that looked ripped from the seats of a 1970s beetle. The lamps had plastic on the ridged covers. The kind of people who obsessively preserve their environment but never exercise. Rachel felt the old twinge of unkindness, of imagined superiority. Pretty sure they got around to having children, kiddo, so maybe shut up a little. Rachel could see faint squares on the wall, with picture hooks in the upper middle. On the liquor cabinet, slight variations of dust on the top. So they took their family photos. She took another deep breath, certain now that the house was empty. A sudden thought struck her hard. Were they the kind of couple to have two cars? Or maybe their kids came to collect them? Rachel had done the math obsessively in her mind for weeks. She remembered her father telling her a story decades ago when he worked in a hardware store and had his first calculator watch and used it to repeatedly figure out how many weeks he had to work to buy his first second-hand car. Two hundred miles. Eight hours a day walking. 2.5 miles an hour. 20 miles a day. Ten days. Another thought struck her. My God, what if they have maps? They are seriously old school. They might prefer hard copies of everything. My mom wanted everything printed out. Drove me crazy. The tree killer. Rachel felt a catch in her throat and consciously willed herself to stop thinking of her mother in the past tense. Would, would there be anything useful in the bedrooms? What if, what if they are in there? Maybe, maybe half of life is striving to avoid the impression of indelible horrors. I need shoes, but... Nothing useful would be in the bedrooms, only formal shoes. She looked for signs of any children, surely adults by now, living in the home, but there were none. The television was ancient, a total blasphemy to the media generation. There didn't seem to be any Wi-Fi router. I guess the backyard toys are for visiting grandchildren. Then Rachel thought, What if there is a young man, an incel, praying in one of these bedrooms. Please, God above, deliver unto me a pretty, young, and fertile woman. Rachel smiled and half shuddered. She went to the front hallway and opened the door to the garage. Dark, bright, thin outlines from around the edges of the garage doors. Two spaces. One. Car. Rachel cried out in relief, hopping forward. There were corkboards on the far wall with obsessively clean tools hanging on them, outlined in black marker. It was an older car, a surprisingly fertile shade of red. Clean, tidy. Rachel peered in the driver's side window, hopelessly trying the door handle. Locked, of course. 
She hopped around the back of the car, trying every handle, even the trunk. It was a Volvo S70. The far side of the car was very close to the clean workbench. Rachel wriggled up and tried the passenger doors. Locked. Struck by a sudden thought, she hopped back, pausing by the trunk as her left leg thigh muscle spasmed briefly, then tried to pry open the gas cap. Stuck. Locked. Rachel leaned down and sniffed at it greedily, but could smell nothing. No gas, at least no odor. Would they take the keys with them? Leaning forward on the trunk, she took some of the weight off her throbbing left leg, trying to let it rest. Snowblower, leaf blower, lawnmower. Did they all use gas? Could it be siphoned off? I don't know. This is the price of never helping my dad with his chores. In a back corner, she could see the black square arch of what looked like a lawnmower handle. Need keys, need keys. If it's full, I get over 300 miles, probably closer to 400. Even half a tank gets me most of where I need to go. Rachel crossed over the empty space, back to the couple of stair blocks leading into the house. Please, God, let there be a key rack. Inside, she looked to the left. Bare wall, small side table, a few pieces of mail, a small drawer. She avoided the mail, oddly averse to learning their names. Lurching forward, Rachel put one hand on the top of the table and opened the drawer. Nestled in green felt, there was a flashlight, a letter opener, and... Keys! Her heart soared, then froze as another dying chirp came from the dining room. Enraged, suddenly, Rachel staggered down the hallway, down the stairs, turned and ripped the chocolate brown clock off the wall and smashed it on the floor. Surprisingly strong, it bounced, scattering cheap generic batteries over the imitation wood. A sob escaped Rachel's throat, and she suddenly felt faint. She grabbed at one of the chairs and used it to slow her fall as her vision went black. Rachel awoke in bright sunlight. She heard the distant din of dogs and shuddered. A beam of light was falling directly on her face from just above the newspaper-stuffed hole in the broken glass. Tasting an acrid stench, she realized she must have vomited. Better to have food coming out than be food going in, she thought wildly, remembering the gruesome carpet of glaring dogs on the floor of the convenience store. It was strangely pleasant to lie here. The warmth of the sunlight seemed to heat even the roots of her teeth. Then something most odd happened within Rachel and to Rachel. Her whole life she had felt a strange tension in her belly, her chest, a sense of impending disaster, a lack of protection, a blindness to circling predators. I always fiddled while Rome burned, 
she remembered another meme that Ian had sent her. Are we the fall of Rome? The answer, nope, Rome had good roads. God, how I rolled my eyes and called him crazy. Rachel felt at the strangest possible time, she thought, all her tension leave her body at once. My life is not entirely my own, she thought. She lay in the sunshine, the bright light of survival, and her animal will just left her. It's migrating back to my past, where it will hibernate with my parents, she thought, barely understanding her own mind. Her life had been delivered to her as a gift, lying on the fake wood of an abandoned dining room floor. Vanity is the most fundamental lack of gratitude. The unknown instincts that had saved her from the dogs, saved her from her parents' lassitude, that were driving her to the only home she could imagine with Oliver. She did not earn those instincts. She had no idea they even existed. I know that my home is with Oliver. And that is insane at a conscious level. He barely knows me and does not approve. But I know it. Against all reason, against all experience, because what is coming has nothing to do with what was past. Again, her thoughts churned beyond her comprehension. Turning her head, Rachel saw a shiny something by her eyes. A near-dead battery. The bird beyond it lashed by strange threads of metal to the dark opening of the clock, lay on its side, its beak wide in mute surprise. I will never move again entirely by my own will. What am I being kept alive for? The idea of being kept alive, protected, Nurtured, guided? Is it the mere animal within me or something beyond me? And even more deep and thunderous, like a giant bell dropped in the deep well of her soullessness. Can I get to safety without God? And was Arlo the devil? And was I? Look what it has taken for me to actually think about my life. The death of everything. The attacks of rabid animals lying in this house of the dead. Coincidental sunbeams lighting up my eyelids. What was I living for? To glorify the great gift of existence? No. To step on the sadness of others in order to avoid my own... (sighs) 
what can we will as better individuals? And most fundamentally, why do I want to live? Why didn't I just drop to the dogs, fall down to the mere mammal? Because of the pain? There is more pain in staying up, in surviving. A strange grace enveloped her. Her mind glowed. Her body fell away. And she had a vision of herself in this house without intervention, old and bitter and yelling at skateboarders and hating children and spending all her energy convincing herself that she was still somehow in the right, despite all evidence. God above, Aunt Crystal in ten years. And the idea, the very idea, that something larger than herself had been trying to instruct her for decades, the concept that she was a protagonist in a story designed to elevate her, this both enhanced and crushed the remnants of her vanity. Life is a school I refused to learn from. It can't all be for me. But Arlo cut his testicles off. Crystal was left with nothing. Ben was turning feral in the absence of love. My parents' guilt kept them locked in a house, falling to nothing. Cassie was learning her lesson. Ian was trying to teach me. Oliver did nothing but beg for me to be honest, and I just couldn't stop lying. Maybe the only people who get to live are those who learn these lessons. My God, it's a new flood. Rachel shivered despite the warmth. Her mother had pulled her to church when she was little, and she colored in the animals going two by two into the ark. When we take these gifts and use them for our own vanity. God, oh God, doesn't exactly get angry, but he no longer intervenes to protect us from ourselves. I was given the gift of life and used it only to feed my own ego. Like an idiot child who inherits a fortune and squanders it all on vainglorious garbage. Where was my gratitude? I claimed to love my life, but I would not pay it forward. I refused to make love make life. I was a reporter. I never wanted to speak truth to power. 
or defend the helpless and the innocent. I wanted views and clicks and red carpet invitations. I wanted awards on the mantelpiece, not not virtue in the heart. And everything and everyone tried to tell me in their own way. Everything I alone decided was crap. I give up. I surrender. Rachel closed her eyes and the light grew in her mind until it overwhelmed her identity. When she awoke again, it was dark. It was not a drug, her vision. Drugs passed, but her strange relaxation remained. And below that relaxation, the titanic bedrock of acceptance. I think this is the first time in my life where I am not complaining about something. Yes, my foot hurts like hell. I haven't found any water. I was almost killed by (laughs) doggos. But I am alive. Always be grateful for that. Crawling over to the kitchen counter, Rachel pulled herself up. A twinge of pain shot through her right shoulder. Rachel smiled, accepting it gratefully as a testament to not dying. She walked down the hall and opened the first bedroom door without fear. Neat piles of cushions, immaculately made beds, a Bible on the nightstand in the master bedroom. She went through the closets in every room, knowing that at least one of the bedrooms must have once been occupied by a child, a a teenager. In the last bedroom, with faded horse wallpaper and a dresser covered with golden female basketball trophies, Rachel found a pair of white sneakers in a box under the bed. They were too big for her, but she found some socks in a drawer and put three pairs on her uninjured foot and one on the other. Gritting her teeth, smiling at the pain, Rachel was able to wedge her blackened foot into the right sneaker. Tying the shoe tightly, she got up and tested her balance. Much better. She half-hopped back into the kitchen, rooted around in the drawers until she found the one with all the plastic bags, then filled them up with as much food as possible. She was not hungry and decided to wait to eat until her body was eager. Humming, she ferried the bags to the garage door. She picked out the Volvo keys from the green felt drawer, then went to the car. Pointing the key fob, She pushed the unlock button. Rachel laughed with joy as the Volvo chirped and flashed. 
rooting around in the garage. Rachel found a Purdy's map and another King James Bible. She held both to her chest and got into the car.